Hello, friends. Welcome to Mavs Moneyball After Dark. This is Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow. We're actually recording on Tuesday night, May 31st, about 8.15. I don't think I'm going to put this show up, though, until tomorrow afternoon. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Had a nice uh, holiday weekend, I think, to recharge. I think we all kind of did as much as we could to take the, the long weekend and recuperate a little bit. So that was, yeah, it's funny. Was There's like needed. a flurry... There's like a flurry of Mav stuff for 24 hours because they did exit mm-hmm. interviews. Cuban actually was like very forthcoming about wanting to push for Brunson, which I thought was interesting. And then it came out that Luca is basically going to be doing a lot of national team stuff, which I think we all knew. But Luca doesn't. It, it was very interesting hearing him in the uh, where he seemed kind of like, I guess I'm not getting as much time off as I thought I was when it's like, well, yeah. Like this is what happens when you go play with your national team. <laughs> like it was right. really, it was really interesting. But then after that, you know, we had kind of a really quiet weekend and, you know, we, we have, if things kind of happen again in a hurry, um, the draft is in, you know, three, three weeks plus a couple of days and then free agencies like two weeks after that. So it's like, we have a, we're kind of in the, the era, like we're, we're slowly drifting into the era of, of rampant speculation <laughs> and, mm-hmm. You know, I think over the next at least maybe week or two, I still want to do a pretty good amount of of reflection. Like we got at Mavs Moneyball, I just went ahead and ran this piece because it's from a, a longtime reader who's on Twitter, but doesn't like she doesn't tweet or do anything. It's just like on Twitter. Her name was Marcy, and she wrote this really lengthy, you know, just kind of love letter to the team. And I want, you know, I think like we're always so quick to like move on to the next thing. And I don't know. I just kind of want to talk about this season a little bit because like the likelihood that we have a season that's this kind of fun again next year is not hot. Like it's, it's hard to finish in the Western conference finals, you know? Right. And now every other season, you know, they've set the bar for themselves. Right. So if they lose in the first round again, next season, or even the second round, that's, I can see how people that, you know, the expectations are going to be higher. There's going to be more disappointment if they don't get back to the spot next season, even though we all know it's, that's not always how it works. So, well, yeah, this is the sweet spot, you know, they, they exceeded expectations, but now they've kind of set a bar for themselves where it'll be the only way for them to to exceed those expectations more is to, to get into the finals. Well, for, for some reason I decided to run a, predicting schedule or predicting a record and playoff seed piece like on October 3rd which is like <laughs> two full weeks before the season starts like what am I doing not not really capturing the SEO there um I'm trying you predicted a 50 win seed. no you predicted uh 52 and 30 and three seed in the west and then I predicted 52 and 30 interestingly enough and a four seed in the west and somehow that is what happened, which I'm still kind of giggling about that. Because granted, predictions are bullshit after 20 games. But when I was like preparing for this, and so much as I did prepare, we really went through kind of a ridiculous path to get to where the Mavericks ended up. And I, I was looking at some of our, our early season like podcast titles and <laughs> we were, you know, we were just despondent. You know, even when the like the Mavericks started the season nine and four um, with a big win over Denver. 
and then they lost five out of their next six. And really, they lost. Um, let's see here. They lost five out of their next six. And then they won a game, and then they lost three more. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, so so that's I, I can't do the math there. But they basically went on this brutal stretch right after you and I had kind of. I remember this podcast very clearly where we were talking about the fact that based off of their um, what it was margin of victory. Mm-hmm. their their point differential We're like this team should really be like 500 or below and i remember talking about it on some spotify lives and things afterwards where we're just like something has to give on this mavericks team <laughs> either they're going to be terrible or they're going to really figure something out and you know, the COVID troubles, I'm trying to remember like when that all started happening. And I'm pretty sure it started happening right around the time Luca got hurt, which yeah. was. I want to say he played that Indiana game mm-hmm. they, that they lost. That was a pretty, that was a pretty despondent loss. I remember that mm-hmm. one um, because that's pretty sure in the wake of that game, that's when I had my now infamous tweet uh, about tanking. Um, and so that I, I pretty sure it happened like right after that Indiana loss. Uh, I remember that game, they, a game they won at home against Minnesota was the first game that they had all the COVID exception people play like December 21st. You're right. Yep. Yep. You're right. I'm looking at this box score. It's (laughs) It's a weird box score. And the Wolves had D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns play and they still lost to that Mavs team. It was that it was, was pretty when you crazy. came out with your very firm take in our yeah. slack where you essentially said, like, I'm never taking the Wolves seriously again. No, <laughs> nope. Not with Carl Anthony Towns as their best player. I'm sorry, so Wolves people. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm just I'm sorry, Wolves people, because I know we have some Wolves fans, friends online. So what's interesting about that is that at that point they were 15 and 15. And I don't December is is such a foggy month for me because I think we were all just sort of writing and getting through it game after game. Like Brunson really showed his worth during these games. Um, But it was such a cut. Like we were writing recaps and we're talking and we weren't really producing much interesting content because it was, it was basically, what are we writing about here? Like I'm not, like we're the not team wasn't producing a, interesting basketball, so we could. So it's really not interesting basketball, and it's like I don't want to write about Charlie Brown. <laughs> like it, it, the the Mavericks basketball reference page for this season is going to look so weird, and 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 so is like half the league because yeah. December the whole league got ravaged by COVID, and you know they they continued to play some of these tough games around the Christmas time, like they got beat by Utah on Christmas day, like another Dallas Mavericks loss on Christmas. Like they just do not win on Christmas. It it wouldn't shock me if the Mavericks aren't even in on the Christmas day games next year, but who knows about that. And then they had this really, and, and they had this really tremendously bad loss December 29th against the Sacramento Kings where uh, Chemezi Mitu uh, hit yeah. a buzzer beating three to win the game. To match for two games under 500 without Luca, it was it was just it was bad. It was mm-hmm. as bad as I can remember feeling during a series of games. Even though the night before, or um, two days before, they'd beaten the crap out of Portland to kind of right themselves, and then after that, they just they just 
didn't lose. I mean, they lost <laughs> 12 more games in the regular season from their, from, from December 20. Yeah. For the rest of the year, like yeah. they played incredible basketball the rest of the year. And they started off without Luca. Luca didn't come back for two more games. Um, and then I got taken to uh, a Mavericks Oklahoma City game by my man uh, Akiva from the green room. Uh, he took me to this Mavericks home win where I sat front row and got to watch Luca. It was around this time, middle of the month, where Luca really decided to just put his head down and go to the basket. Um, is talk wrote about this at length where it was like sometime in the second half of January, he realized that in order for the Mavericks to win, he was going to have to get to the line a little bit more. His free throw rate went up and he was going to have to get, you know, just get into the lane. And from, from there on out, they really, they really rocked it. Like they had a couple of hilariously embarrassing losses, like the, the Orlando magic and Oklahoma a little later in the month. And then from then on out, they just didn't, you know, they had a bad loss to the Knicks, but it, it, and then a bad loss at Charlotte, which was like a fourth game in five nights kind of deal. But the Mavericks just played really, really good basketball the rest of the year. And that doesn't even mention the fact that, you know, two days before the trade deadline or whatever it was, they made the biggest blockbuster trade since the trade for Chris Stapp's Porzingis, where they sent Porzingis to Washington for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. And what do you remember how you felt at the time of, of the uh, trade? I think when I first heard it, my initial reaction, I'm sure there's tweets. Confirming yeah. It, but my, my initial reaction was that they were kind of throwing the season away. Not, mm-hmm. not necessarily like trying to tank or anything, but I, I, I thought they had kind of been like, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're restructuring this thing. We're going to do a bad deal to get out of this Kristaps deal. We're going to take on these two bad contracts and these two players that are playing awful basketball this season. And we're just going to get out from under this deal, get out from under the Kristaps cloud. And we're just going to start the process of rebuilding over again. You know, if we lose in the first round, so be it. You know, we need to take a step back to take a step forward. And that was my initial thought on it. And then... I think by the end, and so I was kind of a guy, I remember like, I think my first tweet, I was vehemently against the trade because, you know, like Kristaps or not, the Mavericks had shown that they had kind of started to figure something out, uh, even with his inconsistent play. And, you know, they just didn't have, I mean, and also they traded for, they traded him away and they basically were like, all right, Dwight and Maxie, you're the, (laughs) you're the center position for the, you know, the next four months or whatever. So that was also part of it. But then I think by the end of the night, I kind of realized I was like, you know, if if we're feeling weird covering this team and and, and talking about Kristaps and, and noticing how awkward things look and how weird it is, you know, how they kind of have to change play styles when he's in and how and when he's out of the lineup, they play a different way. It's like, imagine what the team actually felt like, the actual mm-hmm. players. And then I started to realize, okay, this might actually be a positive deal because I think the Kristaps Porzingis experiment had totally worn out on that roster, on you know, the coaching staff, front office. Like, I think the whole team was just like, we can't keep doing this. Like, we can't keep supporting this guy in the way we're supporting him. We can't keep relying on him. And he's not going to, you know, he's going to sit out so many games. We can't keep changing the way we're playing. We can't keep placating him when he does come back. Like, we can't keep doing this song and dance uh, over and over. Because, you know, the what the cycle had become, he starts the season slow, and then he kind of works his way into it. 
then he gets hurt and misses 10 games and then you know they play you know they play a different style when he's out and then when he comes back he kind of has to be eased into it and then finally when he gets ramped up to speed he plays like three or four really awesome games and then he gets hurt again and i think they were just tired of it and they traded him while he was hurt and i yep. have to imagine that they're part of the thinking and i mean mark cuban has done like 80 interviews since the trade deadline about the trade and he he refuses to say this but i just i just don't believe him is i just think they were trying to get off of him before the injury happened where they wouldn't be able to trade him again like yeah, i think he I, was taking time bomb i i do too um i think that they realized and i think everyone probably came to you know it doesn't seem like there's a lot of of What's the right word? Porzingis was not unhappy that he left, but also not bitter at his time here. Um, I'm trying to think. Is enmity em- is that the right word? I'm I'm terrible with the English, but it, it seemed like everybody, including Porzingis, to a degree, was ready to do something different. Um, and I find that really interesting in hindsight. Like the the what the Mavericks learned this year is that, and and you know we already knew this, but it's just. It, when you have a second star that can only play 70% of the games, it's, it's, they learned that, that, that availability matters way too much. I mean, we could even make the argument that Luca didn't play enough basketball games this year relative to what the Mavericks need from him. Cause if you're not playing 70 or more games, you're just not giving your team enough of a chance to become a top three seed. You're just not. It, it's, you go look at the availability of some of these really good teams that have gone on. And, you know, Steph Curry played a lot of basketball this year. <laughs> like it's right. and 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 I don't. It's not a knock, but I do think what you know. You, you touch on a lot of stuff. I, I I want to to kind of get to. Um, I'm curious. Like, I'm curious what will be said in hindsight. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because if the Mavericks are happy and the Mavericks win games, what the intent of the trade was is moot. I would rather get like it is so much better to be lucky than good. And I've seen a great deal of conversation between my friends. Uh, Twitter group chats where lots and lots of people are sort of rushing to say, "Ah, well, this is what Nico envisioned. And I still think, I think Nico Harrison could be a great GM, but the basketball side stuff, he's even talked about being pretty new to this. It's not like he looked at things and was like, you know what, we're going to go get Spencer Dinwiddie. Like there's been enough reporting done, like actual reporting that indicates that the Mavericks really tried to go get Goran Dragic and then get a first round pick out of um toronto i think it was no it was it was toronto i just can't remember which way the first round pick was going either to the mavericks or from the mavericks doesn't matter but the 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 raptors so vehemently like like threw off that trade proposal as a concept that it seemed to shock the mavericks that the value for perzingis the projected value was just not anywhere near what they had hoped despite sort of managing his play all year because you know he played a pretty good basketball season all things considered he was much better than he was the year before I felt better watching him we talked about this time and time again it just didn't work so I'm 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 not going to be I will probably always be annoyed at revisionist history with this because I think that they my my tendency is to agree with you that I think they were willing to say okay we know what we have in core elements. We need to shed this piece and we're going to start over. And instead, <laughs> they won a ton of basketball games 
Yeah, because they kind of got back to what they're best at, and you know they were, you know, they kind of finally they cut the fat from mm-hmm. from their team in the sense of like they got rid of all of the wasted possessions where they would try to post up Kristaps four or five times a game and that not working. You know, they cut out all that stuff and they just distilled their team down into Luca spread the floor, pick and roll, find shooters, and that's always been the most successful version of this basketball team since Luke has been here. And you think about the way the teams played, you know, think about his rookie year and what they did at the trade deadline to reform the team around him. Uh, you know, it wasn't just trading for Kristaps that year. They traded away a bunch of veterans to clear the path for him so that they could play the style that, mo- that would maximize his talents. Uh, and then the ensuing off seasons, we can disagree and, and yell and scream about so much that they didn't do, but the things that they did do, they had a pretty clear vision in terms of what's the best way to get the most out of Luca. And again, it's it's Luca spread the floor, give him the ball and run pick and roll and, and try to find shooters. And I think after that Kristaps trade, you adding another ball handler and adding another spot up shooter just supercharged that. And you know. The thing that I never saw coming, and I, you know, anyone that saw this coming, I'm, you know, (laughs) you're either like Nostradamus or you're just, you just had a lot of hope, uh, Mm -hmm. is how well Spencer did when he played to close the season. Cause that was some of the, some of the biggest is like flip the switch I've ever seen from a basketball player before because he was literally one of the worst guards in basketball in Washington. And then he gets to the Mavs. And seriously, I mean, he played like a couple of games. I think he played like a game before the All-Star break. And then he played like a game, like he played like 15 minutes after that. But after that, like I think he played a game against Utah, like the first or second game of the All-Star break. And he had like 36 or something. And it was off to the races. And he was incredible. And it looked like he was, he wasn't even just like, oh, I wonder if he can get back to being the Brooklyn Didwitty. He was better than the Brooklyn Didwitty. So, I mean... Thirty six against you against uh, Sacramento and uh, okay, March fifth. Yeah, and that was yeah. a game without Luca, and I like that. Just it fed into what they were doing, and then you know when Luca was out, they finally had you know more ball handlers to keep the offense afloat. And I don't know, you know, credit Dinwiddie first of all, credit coaching staff front off. You know, I don't know who who deserves the most credit after Dinwiddie, of course, but man, they. His play to close the season was, I mean, he was playing like an all-star. And he was playing like the guy that we wanted, you know, the archetype of a player that we've been wanting them to get for the last, what, three off-seasons was a secondary ball handler that can create his own shot without the need of Luka to do anything, you know? Like, we talked about that in the summer of 2019. Talked about that in the summer of 2020. Talked about that in the summer of 2021. Like, what do they need? They need another guy that can do that can dribble the ball and do stuff besides Luka and Brunson. And... Dinwiddie was that, and he was absolutely crucial. Which, you know, I want to sort of save this as we get a little closer to the draft and free agency, but I'm very curious. And and Nico, you know, Matthew and I talked about this last night on uh, the show he and I recorded. I think they have a very clear vision about what they want to build. Yes. Which is really, really cool. Now, whether they can build it is different. But the fact that they they worked to get here, and you know, not to use like, we kind of beat this horse dead, but 
Dorian Finney-Smith realizing in game four that he needed to drive to the basket was <laughs> sort of, it's, it's, it's revelatory in the sense of if the Mavericks are going to play five out basketball, they have to have five put, like they have to be able to field a lineup of five guys who can actually put the ball on the floor. That's not saying they need to have a full rotation of guys that can dribble pass and shoot from three. It's not realistic. But I do think that they can find lineups with guys that that can figure this out, and that just it, it gives me a lot of um, hope, despite how challenging things appear on paper in terms of where do they improve. So, you know, from from the trade on out, it was a really really fun part of the season, and you know, we get to one of the things I really like about the plan is that the plan has forced a lot of meaningful basketball down the stretch. We watched a lot of really good games in March and April, which, man, I don't know if you remember. Of course you do. But it's like the Dennis Smith rookie year when we were watching just unbearably bad basketball as the Mavericks were both tanking and trying not to tank. <laughs> and and this year we just got really good, got some really good games. Like there was – you know, they, they beat Utah a number of times down the stretches. Da, uh, Dalton wrote a piece today um, uh, for, for you know, Dallas basketball where he talks about this March 29th victory where Luka just went at LeBron James and drops this disgusting 34.12-12 triple-double. Uh, maybe it wasn't that game. Maybe LeBron is already out by then. But th- there's just been so many... Yeah, that's what this was a little bit earlier in the year. I got that wrong. Um, but there have been so many games like down the stretch that were just a whole lot of fun to watch. Like, you know, was, I, I ended the season just really kind of curious as to what they would do, even after Luca was hurt, like on the last day of the regular season. Yeah, I was pretty confident even with that injury because I think, I mean, they just weren't, like you said, they just didn't lose when the calendar flipped to 2022. And it wasn't just that they didn't lose. I mean, how many victories against, you know, top six, seven teams from each conference did they get? I remember that stretch where they beat, I can't remember, they had like a five-game stretch where they played like Boston, Brooklyn, Utah, Lakers, Nets, or I already said Brooklyn, uh, 76ers. And they won like three out of five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, they, I mean, they, they had some crazy where... stretches. They got blown out by New York, and then they went yeah. on the road for five games. They played yes. Houston, Brooklyn, or Boston, Brooklyn, Philly, and Charlotte. And they beat Boston and Brooklyn with a pair of game winners from Spencer Dinwiddie. Yes. Both game winners from Spencer Dinwiddie, which mm-hmm. is crazy. And then they got beat pretty soundly by uh, Philadelphia, and then Charlotte ran them off the floor. But I specifically remember following the New York game where we're looking at this calendar going, they could lose all five of these and they yeah. just didn't. Yeah, they were, they, they were beating teams. I mean, they figured it out and that's why when Luca got hurt and we're looking at, you know, Utah in the first round, I was just thinking like, man, I mean, if, if Luca comes back by the end of the series, I think they'll be okay. Cause I think they had just figured something out. And I think the games, you know that didn't that uh, didn't when he played that Luca didn't were really good and yeah I just felt pretty good about it and then what do you know I mean Jalen Brunson basically sent that team to hell for the most part I mean that yep. was great that was crazy to watch 
Well, and what we learned, you know, there's there's the playoff run. You know, we've talked a lot about the playoff run because we just came from the playoffs. So I don't necessarily think there's too much we need to rehash from from any of those particular series. But you said something probably after game seven against Phoenix where it was, you know, I, I just you said you tweeted something along the lines of if this playoffs has taught me anything, it's that big men are still overvalued to a degree because the Mavericks went through Rudy Gobert defensive player of the year candidate and DeAndre Ayton a rising third or fourth year player like just they won so it's it's not really you know I know there's some weird questions around the Phoenix season from people who like to do revisionist history stuff but the Mavericks won and so I've seen some odd things from and I don't like you know I try not to do this anymore because one guy he's I mean to a degree I, 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 we all do this sometimes. We just watch a lot of basketball. So sometimes I inadvertently crap on people's opinions, but it's just like, I, I watch a lot. Like I probably watch more than you do. And so when you tell me my take is wrong, I get frustrated. But with this sort of stuff, like we just watched the Mavericks get to the Western Conference finals without a strong center. So I don't like the idea that the Mavericks need a strong center moving forward, which seems to be kind of an early repeated thing has me a little frustrated because you you pointed it out during the playoffs like this is such a wing and ball hand like like guys who are triple threats are what you need to win basketball games yeah exactly and of course you know, it doesn't help that you know kevon looney looked like 2006 Shaq <laughs> in the western conference <laughs> finals but again you know but you look at looney like he was what a late first rounder like again like he's still 20 he's like 26 years old i think how old is yeah he? he might be 28 i think my main point you know you don't it's not that you don't need a 26 my god yeah <laughs> It's not that you don't need a center. It's just you need you don't need to put all your resources into it. Like Robert uh, Robert Williams in Boston was a late first rounder. Uh, Mitchell Robinson was a second rounder in New York. Uh, I mean, Nerland, they have Nerland Noel too, who they signed for like you know basically like a minimum deal. Um, you know the the Warriors with Looney, he was a late first rounder. Like you can get a good center, you know, in the late in the draft. Using you know smaller free agency deals, you know looking at undrafted guys. Like again, it's not that I I don't want them to improve off the Dwight Powell Maxi Kleber rotation. I clearly want them to. It's just you don't have to trade four first round picks to pay Rudy Gobert forty million dollars a year for the next three years. You don't you know need to give DeAndre Ayton a hundred twenty five million dollar contract or whatever it is. You know you can. I'd rather them invest those resources into, you know, someone on the wing or on the perimeter and then use their other, res- you know, use a late first rounder, use a second rounder, use your mid-level exception, like other avenues to get the production that they need from a big man. And I think that's why that story that came out after the end of the season from Mark Stein, where he kind of was like, hey, you know, Rudy Gobert, Zach Levine, Zach Levine, two big targets that have been tossed around by you know, insiders and fans and the fact that he basically said the Mavericks would, you know, if they're going to chase one, they're going to chase Levine and not Rudy Gobert. Like that gives me all the confidence in the world that this front office has their priorities right. Even if, you know, the odds of them getting Levine are like 0.01%. Like it's nice to know where their heads are at as a front office and, and what they need to address on the roster and how to use their resources. So... Not to go completely off tangent, but you just yeah. threw me a loop and I have to, this has been, this guy's been on my mind for like three days where my buddy, Brian, uh, at Brian J. Draft, formerly Cosmos, 
he there's this University of Texas at Arlington guy who's transferring. I can't even tell you where he's transferring to, but his name's Cow Deer Cow Deer Richie Akabundu Ehogu. He is a six foot nine center who has a forty eight inch vertical and a seven foot four wingspan. He is a freak of absolute athletic nature. And I bring him up just because it's like he won his path to, to where he's doing college basketball is crazy. I'll send you the story after we're done, but there are big guys available. You have to trust your process. You have to trust your developmental staff. The Dallas Mavericks made Dwight Powell, a crazy, crazy functional NBA player who, when he was basically a throw-in piece as part of that deal. So I'm I'm convinced that if the Mavericks get a guy with the right physical tools, they can make some things work. It's just there's not – you have to get a little bit lucky like the Celtics have and like the, the Warriors have where it's like the Celtics locked in Robert Williams before he could get a really big deal. Like he's getting paid a reasonable amount of money. You know, it's not a ton. And, and the Mavericks have – you know what? That's one of the real things we we figured out this postseason, at least in terms of going forward. Right now, the Mavericks do have to improve those spots. Um, and it, it, I, I just, I'm not a bullish guy. I, I tend to be really, you know, even with having Luka Doncic, because the Mavericks have made collectively so many mistakes over the years. I tend to just be like, eh, I don't know if they can do this. But right now. You know, the between the exit interviews, the way they finish, they seem so confident moving forward. And it feels like there's a real plan. And it feels like more than, you know, the Mavericks threw so much smoke and mirrors and bullshit at us for five or six years that I think <laughs> we all just got so, you know, like uh, Mark Cuban will probably not admit this to us if he ever comes back on the show, but it's like they, they were really good at marketing and terrible at execution. And, Thus far, we go back to last offseason. You know, I don't really care who got Reggie Bullock, but Reggie Bullock was one of the best signings that entire offseason. $10 million for Reggie Bullock? Oh, my God. Reggie Bullock on this market would make 18 Yeah, he was great. Uh, and that's why, you know, they locked up Dorian to his extension because, yep. I mean, what would he be making on the open market right now? So, yeah, uh, it's it's quite – it's, it's such a weird feeling going into this off season because they're basically capped out um, and they weren't, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot where how many seasons have we had since 2011 where they have all this cap room. And like you said, there's all these promises. They're kind of marketing their off season with all these potential possibilities and all these all-stars that they could sign or, you know, all this stuff. And then, you know, obviously nothing ever really happened. And it's going to be very curious to me because really, if you look at it on paper, they don't really have much wiggle room to do much of anything at all. I mean, they don't have cap space. They don't yep. really have any good trade assets um, because they still owe a pick to New York. Um, so they it's harder for them to trade first rounders. Um, you know, their only young blue chip prospect is Josh Green. And I mean, we don't need to go down that dark path right now yeah. in terms of his trade value around the league. Um, so like, you know, really, realistically, they don't really have much that they can do besides re-sign Jalen Brunson and make their 26 overall draft pick. But how funny would it be that after what we've been screaming, which is just like sign good players, don't worry about cap space. And then, you know, good things will happen. 
you know, they sign a good player like Reggie Bullock, who's like easily their best free agency signing since Luke has been drafted here. And now they're capped out, but they've also made this Western Conference Finals run where now they've kind of put the league on notice and saying, hey, this is, we are a championship contending team. It's not just potential. Like we're here. We're right. Re- like they're ready. Yep. And what does that do to guys that are willing to take the mid level, guys that want to take veterans minimums? Yep. Or guys that want to force a trade, you know, that kind of like, like it or not, Dallas is not the destination. I mean, first off, Dallas isn't even really a destination that guys are going to force their way to regardless, but it really wasn't going to happen with them losing first round games and not really raising their profile around the league. So they finally done it. So I've, I said this earlier, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it would be hilarious if they had their big, big fish offseason acquisition in the one offseason they finally don't have cap space like it would just go to prove what we've been screaming about for what feels like you know 12 years so that's you know it's weird like I you know they don't have a lot of wiggle room on paper but I'm oddly confident that there are some paths for them to shake up the roster and continue to improve it I'm too and you know we've not talked about him yet and we probably just need to end on this um we were both wrong about Jason Kidd. We've said that yep. during the regular season. We, we're saying it again right now. Jason Kidd and Nico Harrison paired with a little bit of Luka Doncic and maybe more Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith than, than we realized might well make this team cool. And <laughs> I, I don't know how to put a, a better phraseology on it than that, but there's just a certain sense of of like perception is just as important as reality. And what the Mavericks just did was show that they're a team that is, is a force to be reckoned with, even with some, some real challenges that, you know, kind of within their roster structure, they played six and a half guys and they made it to the Western conference finals. That is crazy to me. (laughs) So, yeah. And like you said, the cool factor, I mean, can't deny, you know, the job that Jason Kidd's done, which has been, you know, something that we did not anticipate at all, uh, putting it lightly. Um, and think about it now, like he's proven himself to be a quality head coach, at least through this season. And you think about how many guys were talking about, like wanting Jason Kidd to be their, you know, Damian Lillard wanted Jason yep. Kidd to be their coach. LeBron has talked endlessly about how much he misses Kidd on the Lakers coaching staff. Uh, you combine that with a guy like Nico Harrison, which, um, to say that he is a cooler guy than Donnie Nelson is probably uh, the understatement of the century. Like, it just feels a little bit better. Like, because that's the game. You know, I think the Mavericks were trying to play the game beforehand where they were like, oh, well, we've got, you know, we've got the cap space. Like, we've got the money. We've got the smarts. Like, we can do this. And it's like, no, it's more, it's, you know, that's not how the NBA works right now. It's relationships, it's cultivating an environment. It's more than just, you know, because any team can have cap space. Like these guys just, there's just more to it than that. So it feels nice to, that the Mavericks might finally be equipped to have better conversations with guys around the league to getting them to join their franchise. Cause man, knowing what we know about Donnie Nelson now <laughs> uh, with some lawsuits that are coming out and that we haven't even talked about that we probably, I don't even know if we should, but uh, that just goes into how crazy this season was. Uh, yep. The, the Nico upgrade, regardless of his acumen in terms of a talent elevation, in terms of just talking to guys and, and, and gaining relationships with other guys, is just, gonna, is just massive. That I don't think we can really quantify right now. 
Well, guys, this has been fun. Um, Josh and I always talk more than I intend for us to. I I just peeped behind the curtain. I told Josh beforehand that I had intended to like have actually a written outline for this podcast, and I forgot because life happens. Um, but you know, we're, we're like I said, we got a lot of you know items coming up on the calendar, which means we'll find reasons to talk about. Um, I had intended cause today's Tuesday. I'm probably going to start hosting a Tuesday and Friday Spotify live. Uh, I didn't today though. Cause I, my brain kept telling me it was Monday all day. And then all of a sudden it, you know, day's over. Um, but you know, <laughs> we're going to have some stuff on Mavs money ball. We're, we're currently winding down and I don't really feel like telling people, Hey, we need to write things. Cause it's just not true. Um, everybody <laughs> should enjoy the finals. I find myself rooting for the golden state warriors because I find, um, everything East coast bias related surrounding the Celtics. Very frustrating. Um, but yeah, Josh, do you have anything before we go? No, I'm good. I think I'm with you on the warriors. Like just to see them kind of a redemption story after how bad they were. It would also make me Durant feel left. better about how thoroughly they yeah. whooped our ass. <laughs> yeah, I don't need them to lose to Boston, who the yeah. Mavericks who, played really well in the regular season. They haven't lost. I mean, the Mavericks haven't lost to Boston since the 2019-20 season. Yeah, so no, no, don't need the Celtics to win. Yeah. Okay, good times, guys. Check the feed. Um, you know, I'm kind of recording stuff willy-nilly. I should be better at planning and organizing this, but real life keeps happening. Everybody be good, and we will talk to you in a few days.